If you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we're just going to be looking at, well, I say just, but it's quite a bit, um, verse uh, 1 through uh, 25. Before I read um, that, the passage, I just want to mention that if you look at uh, the very end, last verse of chapter 12, after Paul has talked about rather extensively regarding spiritual gifts, uh, he makes this statement in verse 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. That is the lead on, if you would, into chapter 13, which begins with, though I speak, with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have gifts of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move, remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And then the passage in or chapter 13, Paul goes down and he talks about love. And he talks about the fact that love has certain uh, things that it does. And one of those things is that it, it suffers long. Another thing is that it endures uh, along with that suffering along. And it is kind. Three very strong positive statements about it, verse four there. Then he goes on to say what love does not do. And it does not envy, parade itself, puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own, provokes, thinks of evil, does evil. Um, and it does not rejoice in iniquity. So that's what it does not do. And then he gives us a little sample of how love basically responds to the gospel. It rejoices in the truth. As it rejoices in the truth, it bears all things, it believes all things, all things that are true, all things that come from the scriptures. It hopes all things, all the promises. It has firm hope. And again, it actually be, almost begins where it leaves off, it endures, okay? And it endures because of this gospel. So that brings us then to chapter 14. And I will go ahead and read from chapter 14, verses one through 25. So let's give ear to God's word. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort 
to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesied is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brother, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sound, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion that I will pray with the spirit? I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 in a word of words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. And the law is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all they will not hear me. And that, by the way, is from Isaiah, <clears throat> says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed, 
or unbelievers, will they not say, you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. And thus, the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among them. May God add his blessing to his word. A tough passage, as just about every passage in 1 Corinthians has been. Uh, it always seems to raise new issues and, and difficult issues uh, to speak about. And he begins by saying, again, I, to pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So this whole discussion has been going on two chapters prior to this. And we've been developing this, this whole theme as we've gone along. The primary concern, the primary principle is to pursue love. Yes, desire spiritual gifts and even pray for them, but in the spirit of love, which looks to serve. So the desire for gifts it's not so that we can use them on ourselves, but that we can minister in the church. And especially, again, he points out prophecy. Now, it would be a good time, I guess, to, to at least ask the question, what is prophecy? And where, where does it come from? Prophecy is the word of God. It's the revealed word of God. That is what it is first and foremost. In the area of tongues, and you have this connection, and the first time, by the way, that we see these tongues, in the New Testament at least, there's a few places in the Old Testament you can find them, but it's Acts chapter two. And that's when the Spirit comes upon uh, the people, the, the disciples that are there. There's a huge crowd from the uh, Pentecost celebration that occurred. And uh, it describes it as suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them divided tongues on the, of fire, and one sat upon them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what happened? The gospel was declared to people who came from different areas, from different countries, why did they come there? They came there for Pentecost. The Jews had been dispersed a long time ago, and so the Jews that wanted to come to Jerusalem for this time period would come, and they would 
<clears throat> stay there for quite a while and then travel back to their homeland. So you had a lot of foreigners in town at this time. And when the Spirit comes upon the disciples, who again were following Christ, many of them apostles, but it looks like it's clear that it, it also included other disciples that were, were following after Christ and after the men who had followed Christ, namely the apostles. And the Spirit came and it gave them utterance, gave them the ability to speak, but the words were not their native language. The words were a language of another country. There's no indication in the, the earlier passage in Acts or in our current passage here that the tongues were ever a language that was not known. It was, it was, it was a known language. And of course, this was a miracle. And it's a type, a particular type of miracle. It's called the miracle of attestation, which is a miracle that directs us to the gospel, to Christ. It's like, an, it's, it's like a stamp of approval, if you would, by God, that this is my word, this is my message, this is what I want you to learn and know and grow in. And so it, it gave that um, uh, power, if you would, behind the message of the gospel it gave a, a, a miraculous even giving of the gospel. Um, we have no record of a single tongue that was spoken in this time period. And I would suggest to you that the reason was it was a repeat of all of the things that were in the Revelation already. It was just that that message was being put in a language that could be received. And in so doing, people heard the word in their own language and it became a testimony to them. And as we read in, in this passage, it was because they did not believe Okay. They were unbelievers, but they needed to hear the gospel, and so the gospel came to them. Now, the practice of speaking in tongues continues on during the apostolic period. The Reformed Church and many Presbyterian churches rec fully recognize that after the, the, the last of the apostles, the gifts of tongues ceased because the apostles were still writing the word of God. So John, first, second, third John and Revelation probably would have been the last. And, um, and so when those were complete, the need for tongues uh, fell away. And so the practice of speaking in tongues is actually not something um, that continues. And I'll have to, 
admit that one of the first churches, actually the first church really, that I ever attended regularly after having left the Roman Catholic Church was a church of God in the Philippines. It was a mission church. And um, they actually had a practice of speaking in tongues, didn't do it during a worship service. It was a kind of back door in the uh, back room prayer meeting type. Um, so I know there are churches that continue to uh, believe that, that this is a practice, um, but uh, it, it, it really does come down to, okay, if something was said in a tongue, that means that person didn't understand the language they spoke. Then there had to be somebody who could understand what was said. And if you didn't have that, Paul's saying, it, 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 you, you've pretty much lost the whole meaning of having it in the first place. And so, um, again, I, I think that it's, it's clear uh, from from the uh, from most tr church tradition sees the tongues as completely being uh, again an attestation, but there's a lot here to for us to learn beyond whether or not tongues are here or not. Um, so I want to go back up to verse uh, two, Paul. Uh, First, again, he, his, his concern with tongues is uh, that, um, that there are prophecies, actually the first five verses, that, that what is being communicated is not just simply words and somebody saying, look, I have the special gift of tongues. I have something to boast about. And that's what was happening already in the church. And Paul's saying, no, you, you missed the whole point of it. He encourages the Corinthians to speak with understanding. And he says in verse 3, but he who, who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And I, I find this one particularly interesting that the apostle included the word comfort in there. So he's not just talking about speaking prophecy, being able to re, you know, regurgitate the word of God in, in, a, in a, uh, you know, an, a clear way, if you would. Um, and to also to be able to exhort people, correct them, you're in sin, you need to stop that, okay? Um, or that just general exhortation, you need to be in the worship service more often or something to that effect. But also comfort. So when we are involved in learning and growing in knowledge of the scriptures, we also have assurance that comes with it. That assurance is our comfort. Knowing that we are redeemed, 
knowing that we are saved from the foundations of the earth, as Paul says in Ephesians, knowing that we are that generation, that royal priesthood, those ones who are beloved of God, that we are cared for by God. Comfort, that's the point of what he's saying, what he's saying, speaking of prophesying. He's not just talking about, we need to raise the academic level of our church. He's talking about understanding the truth. Then in verse uh, six, he says, but now brethren, if I come to you speaking in a tongue, what profit is it? If I, I, I speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge, by prophesying or by teaching, even things without life, whether a flute or a harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sound, how will it be known what is piped or played? It's given us a real basic picture of this. I can walk over to the piano and I can take my hand, I could slam it down and make a loud noise and no one would have any clue what it meant, except maybe I was angry, right? That's the only thing it's gonna communicate. But if I went over there and I played, as bad as that was, you would know what it was, right? Or if I played taps, you would know what it was. The simplest little tune. You get meaning actually out of that sound. And that's what Paul is saying here. When somebody's speaking in tongues, just for the sake of speaking in tongues, you might as well beat on the piano. In fact, you don't even need to use the keys. You can take a baseball bat to the strings. That's what he's saying. It's just, it's just noise. But when there is thought, when there's structure, when there's soundness to what is being taught, all of a sudden it's a totally different story. It's actually you're hearing something. So he goes on, verse nine. So likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. And Paul actually makes a reference earlier, and I don't know if you remember in the one chapter nine, I think it is, where he talks about beating the air. Okay, and, and now we're speaking in the air, which means it's not going to accomplish anything. He says there are many, uh, there are, there, there are, it may be, so many kinds of tongues in the world and none of them is without significance. None of them is without significance. The Christian church has had the mission to reach the world. There is not one single language that it is not directed at. They're all significant. But he goes on, therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks. 
Verse 12, even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Everything that we do is to ultimately serve the church, to serve God's people. In 15, he concludes, what is the conclusion then? I will pray in the spirit. I will also, excuse me, I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So this is a, a powerful statement about our witness to the rest of the world to the all unbelievers. It's thanking God. Because when the expression of thankfulness is in order with the scriptures, we're not looking at anything we did. It's giving ourselves to God. It's thanking God that he is the one who brought us here. He's the one who establishes us. He's the one who moves. He's the one who brings about his perfect will in his time. We're an object of his love. And for that, we give thanks. And when our thankfulness becomes, well, you know, Things went okay today, but I'm really troubled by this and troubled by that. And, and missing the very core of the gospel, which is that we have a salvation that is not from us because we could never earn it. We could never get there on our own. We are totally dependent upon God to bring about his good and perfect will in us. And so Paul, conclu final conclusion, conclusion, he's got a couple conclusions there. Verse 19, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. He goes on verse 20 and then to 25, and then we'll wrap this up. So he says, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes but in understanding be mature. 
and the law is written with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to hit this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me. That's from Isaiah. And what he's saying here is that even when we have it right, it doesn't mean that the world will say, you got it right. He goes on, therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to the unbeliever. But prophesying is not for the unbeliever, but for those who believe to be built up in the faith. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, they will not say that, well, they not say that you are out of your minds. But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all, all the things that he hears. And thus, the secrets of his heart are revealed. And then it gives you a description of conversion. What's he do? He stands up and says, I finally decided to accept Jesus because he's, it just makes sense, you know, to me. And I just, I just figured this thing all out now. No. He falls down on his face and he worships God, giving God thanks. That's the core of worship is giving God thanks and report that God is truly among you. So he truly sees and understands who God is. And as he does, he also understands God's righteousness and he understands his own unrighteousness, which brings him to this state of humility. Now, it describes it as falling on your face. Uh, I have yet to go to a church where I fell on my face. I'm sorry to say, oh. but I have gone to a church where I've known and had my sin exposed and my heart was open and I cried out to God and he responded. And that is the core of the gospel. And yes, there are gifts. There are things that we do in the church things that we exercise ourselves with. But I think there's a couple things that I, I really want you to take away from this. One is that the, the tongues, the miraculous in any form was for a particular time period and it was only for the purpose of attesting to the truth of what was being said, that it came from God. And this is not just a human invention, but it is God at work. That the ultimate purpose in all of these things is to bring us to the point of giving thanks to God. And we are to rest in those things. Prophecy is learning from the scriptures. 
And I can truly say when you have, generally when we speak of prophecy, we speak of those who are in a place to exhort, as I'm doing now, or particularly as a minister preaches. And the only reason one's called preach and one's called exhort is one's an ordained minister of the gospel, teaching elder, and I am an elder. And we have shared interest, uh, but there's not the authority, exercise of the authority is a little different when a preacher preaches, which we look forward to. Once again, but what makes a good preacher good? It's when he's not speaking his own words, but when he's bringing to us the word of God, when he is prophesying according to what has been revealed, not sitting down and trying to invent something. And so that needs to be a very key part of our desire as we look for a pastor, one who is disciplined, one who is interested, not in trying to make any significant mark at all, so to speak, but to bring that word and to instruct according to uh, God's revelation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have revealed yourself in your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct us to search it, to, to read it, to meditate upon it, and we pray that it would even, uh, if it would be your will to, to bring us to that place where even as believers who've, who've walked with you for many years, that we would once again fall down on our face and acknowledge you as the Lord, to acknowledge you as the one who brings about your salvation according to your will, for your purpose, and again, in all of this, we give you thanks and praise. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.